Let's open our Bibles to the seventh chapter of Matthew this morning. We have worked our way through chapters five and six of Matthew because we're studying the greatest sermon ever preached. That's the Sermon on the Mount of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are His words. These are the words of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. These are the words of our Master, the great High Priest of our profession, our Apostle, our Creator, and our coming Judge. These words ought to be most sober to your attention. We ought to tremble before them. There's no words ever spoken by any man that can compare to them. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you shall stand before Him one day, whether you believe it or not. He doesn't care what you believe. You will stand before Him one day and give an account of how well you listened and of how well you applied what was preached. Matthew chapter 7, I'd like to read to you the first six verses. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, And then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Amen and amen. Amen. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe them. I hope you believe them. Let's tremble before them. These are words that are not popular today. Verse 6 is not preached anywhere at any time. Verse 1 is the most abused verse in the Bible. And so we have to take, we have to take time, and it won't be a waste of time, but we have to take time to prepare you to defend yourself against the common use of Matthew 7-1. If you ever try to name sin, criticize and condemn others who are sinning against the Bible, they're going to throw in your face Matthew 7-1, Judge not. Judge not. That you be not judged. Judge not. When we did our expose on Mel Gibson's passion movie and sent it to the world by our $20,000 investment in Google, we received hundreds of of people trying to tell us that we were violating Matthew 7-1 because we were judging a movie and we had no right to judge anything because they misunderstand Matthew 7-1. This is the most abused verse in the Bible. Get used to it. You're going to have it thrown in your face if you ever try to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you ever try to take a stand on anything, they're going to say, judge not. The Christian world is so sick today that if you preach against sodomites, Their euphemism for it is a homosexual. 
You know, they used to be called queers and faggots. But if you preach against sodomites, you will have thrown at you, judge not, that ye be not judged. But the whole Bible judges sodomy. The Bible condemns it. The God of heaven burned up the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the plain of that part of the country because of sodomy. Now I say that's pretty strong judgment. And we ought to judge sin. But let's learn how to answer this text. If you try to condemn sin, you're going to have this thrown at you. Now there's a reason why they picked this verse, and I hope you're able to see it. The reason they picked this verse and the reason they remember it is because they only have to memorize two words. See, none of them know the Bible. But they can memorize, judge not. They can get that handy. They have it laying on the top of their mind so that whenever you criticize what they are doing, they can throw two words back at you. Judge not. Judge not. You don't have a right to tell me that I'm wrong. And they do that with two words. It's because it's short. The other reason they like those two words is because they've never read the Bible. A couple times they've picked it up to try reading it. They looked at the Old Testament they said, that's too hard. They said, we'll try the new. And they made it seven chapters and they found this verse. And they quit. Because obviously, with that verse, they have all that they need. Because no one can tell them that they're wrong. Remember the First Baptist Church of Malden had on its sign... If you come back, we promise not to throw the book at you. You know, some of you have thought that our sign ought to say, If you come, we promise to throw the book at you every week. Amen. Because what we come to church for is to have the Word of God thrown at us. Because the Bible tells ministers to preach the Word, to blast the gospel trumpet and show Israel their sins. But the answer would be, judge not. It's short, little phrase is enough for them to try to put off any criticism. And so we live in the perilous times of the last days. Men today, Christians today is what I mean by men today. Christianity today is a compromising Christianity. It has, it's full of inventions and things that have been added in the last 20 to 50 years. And it's getting worse every year because men no longer want the sound doctrine of God's word. And we are told that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, that the time would come when they would no longer endure sound doctrine. But they would heap to themselves teachers and they would turn their ears from the truth unto fables. And so in most churches today, it's all based on entertainment and fables rather than the word of God. And the way that they excuse themselves, one of the ways is this verse right here. Judge not. Well, this whole sermon is a sermon of judgment. Do you remember why it was preached? Jesus Christ said, if your righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now that is a powerful judgment. That's why when we get to the end of this sermon, the people were astonished because Jesus preached with so much authority. He took the religious leaders of his day and said, unless your righteousness is a whole lot better than theirs, you'll never get into heaven. Now that's a judgment. And that's a severe judgment. So we want to understand these words. There's three lessons in the first six verses of Matthew 7. Three lessons. 
Do not be unmerciful in your judgment, verses 1 and 2. Do not be hypocritical in your judgment, verses 3 through 5. And fools and scorners don't deserve the word of God, nor the gospel, nor the truth. Ignore and reject them. Now that certainly isn't taught today, but it's the word of God. Jesus Christ did not waste his time with Pharisees. When he was around Pharisees, he confounded them and turned from them. When he was around Pharisees, he preached in parables so that they couldn't understand him. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if you don't want to submit to his truth, he will turn from you and harden your heart and blind your mind. And that's the third lesson. Fools and scorners don't deserve the word of God. You shouldn't give it to them because they're dogs and pigs. You say, that isn't very nice. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ said. And I think he was the nicest man that ever lived and the nicest man that lives to this day. It's an appropriate term for them. Pigs like to return to their wallowing in the mud and fools and scorners like to return to their folly. Dogs are vicious and vile and so they're dangerous. And so you don't give them your pearls or your bread because they'll abuse it and then turn and use it against you. But we'll get to that third lesson in a moment. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. We've already had the explanation of this verse this morning. Psalm 18, verses 25 and 26. Psalm 18, verses 25 and 26. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. With the forward, thou wilt show thyself forward. That is the interpretation of this verse. But let's approach it this way. Let's look at it three different ways. First of all, the whole world thinks that judge not, that you be not judged means there ought not to be any more hard preaching, nor naming of sin, nor naming of sinners. And yet the Word of God is full of those things. Jesus Christ blasted the Pharisees and He called them names over and over again. Ye serpents! Ye vipers! How can ye escape the damnation of hell? The Apostle Paul would write Timothy and say, Beware of Alexander the coppersmith. He has done me great harm, and you avoid him lest he harm you as well. 2 Timothy 4, 14 and 15. In 2 Timothy 2, the Apostle Paul would write Timothy and say, Alexander and Hymenaeus have given themselves over to fables and vain babblings. They've said the resurrection is past already. There is the Apostle naming names, naming sins, and naming heresies. This verse does not contradict that. Our first rule of Bible study. The first rule of Bible study. There are no contradictions in the Bible. Do you know that we're told that's the first rule of Bible study? 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. Knowing this first. That no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. That means no verse of the Bible can be pulled out to teach something that the rest of the Bible does not teach. And when you take Matthew 7.1 and say that it teaches you ought not to judge sin or sinners, you are coming up with a private interpretation of that verse because that doesn't fit the rest of the Bible. Let's think of a few more examples of the rest of the Bible. Now Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. And then he tells you in verse 6 that you ought to judge what men are dogs and pigs. Isn't that the truth? 
doesn't verse 6 say, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs? Now that doesn't mean, don't drop your Bible in the doghouse. It doesn't mean, don't drop your Bible in the pig pen. It means, identify men that have the character traits of dogs and pigs, and do not give them my gospel. When you identify men that are scorners, men that are fools, men that do not want the truth, do not give them my, my gospel. Do not give them the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Do not tell them the secret things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Let them go. That's right here in our context. Let's think of a few more examples. In John chapter 7, Jesus said, Judge righteous judgment. Now, how can we have a verse that says, judge righteous judgment, and have this verse that says, judge not, that ye be not judged? Because there's two different kinds of judgment under consideration, obviously. Right? Right. I hope you see that clearly. There's so many examples. Should a nation judge criminals? Yes. Should a church judge sinning church members? Yes. Should a father judge sinning children? Yes. Should a master judge wayward and stealing employees? Yes. Judgment exists throughout the Bible. How about Romans 16? And there's a reason they don't remember Romans 16. It's not two words long, and it's too far into the New Testament for them to have reached it. I'm serious. The average person sits down and says, well, I'll start with Matthew. And they get to Matthew 7, and by that time they're worn out because they don't have a heart for the things of God. But they got Matthew 7 1 out of it. But when we come to Romans 16, 17, listen to these words. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Wow. You mean we're supposed to look out individuals and say, that man is in opposition to the Word of God. We're to mark men, we're to name them, we're to identify them, and then avoid them? That's what it says in Romans 16, 17. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own bellies. They're belly worshippers, and we're to identify them as belly worshippers and treat them accordingly. Now that's in the Bible. So by our first rule of Bible study, we look at Matthew 7 and 1 and we know that it doesn't mean that we shouldn't ever judge, because the rest of the Bible tells us we're to judge often. We're to spend our whole lives judging. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. First Thessalonians 5.21 A Christian does not believe anything without evidence. Everyone else believes a lot of things without evidence. Evolution has no evidence. Evolution is a theory. No one has ever seen a bunch of slime in the ocean turn into a bald eagle. No one has ever seen gases in the universe turn into a solar system with reproductive plants on it. That's a theory. A Christian proves all things and holds fast that which is good. By that one verse alone, we are taught we're to spend our whole lives judging. Everything we hear, everything we see, we're to make a judgment. Is that good or bad? And we're to hold fast whatever is good, and we're to let go whatever is bad. Our whole lives would be given to judgment. The Apostle Paul would say, If any man preach any other gospel unto you, than that which I have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Galatians 1.8 And if you didn't get it in verse 8, He repeated himself, as I said before, now let me say again, if an angel from heaven 
preaches any other gospel unto you than that which I have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Right. Now that's severe judgment. Amen. We're to listen to a man preach. And if his preaching does not line up with what the Apostle Paul taught, we're to blow him out and blow his doctrine out. Right. That's what the Bible teaches. Let him be accursed. So, Matthew 7.1 cannot mean that we're not to do any kind of judgment. Now, the second rule of Bible study is context. And if we cheat by looking ahead at verse 2, we can figure out what verse 1 means. We've already proven what it can't mean. Now let's prove what it does mean. Verse 2, For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. Oh, thank you, Lord for telling me that you're talking here about personal judgment where I have a choice, where I'm dealing with another person and I have a choice to be severe or I have a choice to be merciful. And you're telling me if I'm severe, I'm going to get that measured back to me. If I'm liberal, you're going to give liberality back to me. If I'm merciful, you'll be merciful to me. That's what it means. And we can tell that by looking. See, first rule was prove what a verse does not mean. By checking it against the rest of the Bible. The second rule is to look at its context and see if the Lord doesn't tell us right in the context. When we go down to verses 3, 4, and 5, we see that he's talking about our personal judgment between us. When we see a moat in another's eye. When you see, a, when you see someone else do something that's wrong. When you see someone else do something that bothers you. So we're told in the context that it's personal offenses and individual faults and sins that are under consideration. And the way in which we judge them is the way God's going to judge us. The way in which we judge them is the way other good men are going to judge us. If we want to be hard, God and good men are going to be hard against us. If you want to be gentle and merciful, God and good men will be gentle and merciful to you. When you go to Luke chapter 6, you can read Luke's account of the same sermon. Now, in Luke's account of the same sermon, Luke used this verse. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Inside of this sentence. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure. Pressed down. Running, shaken together. And running over, shall men give into your bosom. In the middle of that sentence. Because what it's talking about is how you treat others. On the scale of very merciful... To very harsh, where do you fall? Very easy to get along with, to very difficult, where do you fall? Very quick to judge, very slow to judge, in your dealings with each other, where do you fall? I'll tell you where I want to be, right over here. I want to be merciful and slow to judge and easy to get along with, because that way the Lord is going to be merciful, slow to judge and easy to get along with for me. That is the lesson of Matthew 7, 1 and 2. The third rule of Bible study is to compare Scripture with Scripture. So when we look for verses in the Bible that are like Matthew 7, 1 and 2, we find James 2, 13, that I read to you first thing this morning. He that showeth judgment without mercy shall receive judgment without mercy, and mercy rejoices against judgment. That's another cross-reference to this passage, along with Psalm 18, verses 25 and 26. So by those three rules of Bible study, we know what Matthew 7, 1 and 2 mean. They, it does not mean that we ought not to name sin and sinners. 
What it means is, in our dealings with each other, we ought to be merciful. We ought not to be harsh or rash in our judgment. We ought not to be quick to condemn. We ought to think very clearly. And even though a person's actions might look faulty, we give them the benefit of the doubt. Are you able to apply everything I'm saying to God's relationship to you? That's what I want you to do. I want God to look at everything I do and give me the benefit of the doubt. I want God to look at me and remember the integrity of my heart, even though I might be offending Him. Because I hope that we're able to look at each other, and if once in a while we lose our cool, or we're a little short, we'll overlook that, because I know their overall character is good. They're just having a bad day. Listen, you know what? If you treat other people that way, the God of heaven will treat you that way. Did you fully grasp what I said to you earlier about David? David committed aggravated murder. Why was it aggravated? There was no reason to kill Uriah. And aggravated adultery. David had his own harem. That's what, that's what God said to him when he judged him. You had a whole pile of wives already, and I would have given you any other woman you wanted. Why did you take the wife of another man? Now, that was a horrible sin. But do you know how fast he was forgiven? The exchange went something like this. Nathan said, David, you have sinned in aggravated adultery and murder against Uriah and Bathsheba. Remember the long story? It was aggravated, wasn't it? The man with many sheep came and took the one sheep of a man. Remember? It was aggravated. David said, I have sinned against the Lord. God said, I have forgiven you. Now, how in the world, how in the world could a man that God had dead to rights, worthy of capital punishment, get away with such aggravated crime? I've already told you. Because when he had King Saul laying at his feet, and a javelin in his hand, and that man had been chasing him all over Judea, he said, I cannot touch the Lord's anointed. And he held back his nephews that one... They said, let us cut the head off that man. Let us take him now. Can't you tell God gave us to him like this? Oh, that'd be hard, wouldn't it? Look at God's providence. No, don't touch him. And served him faithfully. He didn't even want to be the king's son-in-law. Do you remember, David? I'm not good enough to be the king's son-in-law. His humility and his mercy, I have sinned against the Lord. Out of heaven comes the words to Nathan, I have forgiven thee. Do you want to be treated like by the God of heaven that way? That's what Matthew 7, 1 and 2 means. That's all that it means. How you relate to other people, are you merciful? God will be merciful to you. If you're harsh, quick to judge, if you evilly surmise about their actions, if you're hard to get along with, if you're difficult, if you're impatient with other people, if you're really critical of them, God is going to be all those things to you. And there are examples of it in this congregation. And all you have to do is look around. The gentlest and meekest and kindest of the men in this congregation are taken care of by God in the gentlest, meekest, and kindest ways. And those that are more difficult to get along with have a more difficult life. Now, there are other factors that influence a man's life. But this is the rule of today's sermon. I have to tell you. And I'll tell you where I want to be. I want to be merciful. I don't, I don't really care what you do to me, personally. I'll forgive you. And I'll forgive you quickly. And you all know why. 
Because I want the Lord's forgiveness still in my life. This is a true rule of the universe. And it's precious. And I wish you'd lay hold of it today and say, from here on out, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to be easy to get along with. I'm going to be cooperative. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be compassionate because I want the Lord to be all those things to me. Verses 3 through 5. Oh, what did the first two mean? When it says, judge not, judge not unmercifully, that ye be not judged unmercifully. Judge not harshly, that ye be not judged harshly. Judge not rashly, that ye be not judged rashly. That is what it means. And it has to do with our personal relationships and personal offenses and personal faults. It has nothing to do with telling preachers not to name sin and sinners. It has nothing to do with you not condemning anything you see that is contrary to the Word of God. If your children bring something home about someone or some doctrine from school, from friends, or from anywhere, you have an obligation before the God of Heaven to say that is wrong. And this verse doesn't have a thing against that at all. Because this verse isn't about that at all. We are to prove all things and hold fast that which is good. I hope I've made the first two verses clear. Verses 3 through 5. If you underline your Bible, get the word why in verse 3, the word how in verse 4, and the word first in verse 5. Because they're little keys. The Lord is tough in these three verses. The next lesson He wants to teach us is don't you dare judge hypocritically. Matthew 7, 3. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, And then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. These three verses hit the Pharisees hard because the Pharisees justified themselves before men. They loved to pick on others. How many times did Jesus bring? He would sit down at supper and have sinners on both sides of him. Do you know why those sinners were there? They were looking for forgiveness. And a Pharisee would be in the room. And what would they think in their hearts? Why is he sitting with sinners? He ought to be sitting over with us. Look at that sinner. Doesn't he know? If he was a prophet, he would know that that woman's a great sinner. That's what Jesus is blasting in these three verses, judging hypocritically. Now notice, look at the word why in verse 3. And why beholdest thou the moat? Why? Let's think about looking at someone else and judging them while you've got sin in your life. The first question Jesus asks, and it is partly rhetorical and it's very powerful, why? Why are you so concerned about a moat, a speck of dust in someone else's life when you've got a railroad tie blocking your vision? Why? The question is why? The next question is going to be how. How do you think you're going to operate since you can't see? But the first question is why? And doesn't that tell us how depraved we are? That question of why? Why 
Are we so concerned about the small offenses in others' lives while we have large offenses in our own lives? Why? Why is it so easy to sit back and judge others? You know, the world has an expression called a Monday morning quarterback. That's some overweight, chip-eating couch potato that watches a football game and then on Monday tells how the game could have been won. Well, the overweight, chip-eating couch potato couldn't even get on the field with the men playing the game, but he wants to rule about them. And so the Savior, that's the world. Forgive my pitiful little illustration. I don't like illustrations. The, the Savior would say, why? Why are you looking so intently to spot those little specks in other people's lives while you ignore your own life? Because we are experts at other examination and failures at self-examination. A holy man, a godly man, spends the majority of his time in self-examination. But by nature, we are experts at other examination. Every father in here, and every wife, you should remind your husband. And every child, try to forgive your father if he doesn't do this. On our way home from church, when we are sitting in our home, we ought not to have anything to say negatively about others. We ought not to be criticizing, condemning, at all. Why are you worried about the small events in someone else's life? Get into your closet, get on your knees, and find out before the Lord what's wrong with you. That's what the Savior is teaching. Why are you so interested in finding faults in others' lives? I'll tell you why. Because we're all hateful and hating one another. According to Titus chapter 3 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul said that about himself. We would much rather find fault in someone else's life than in our own. And so that is what is being taught here by the word why in verse number 3. It's amazing how sharp our vision is at seeing others' faults and how blind we are to our own. You know, that guy's got pretty good vision to be able to spot a moat in someone else's eye. Now, a moat's just a speck of dust, but he's got a, a railroad tire, a telephone pole in his own. What distortion? Why are you critical of others? I hope you see how this goes together. If you want to be that critical of others, if you want to pick on moats in others' lives, well, there's a God in heaven that can see smaller than a moat. There's a God in heaven that can see the thought of a moat. There's a God in heaven that can see the propensity toward a thought of a moat. There's a God in heaven that can see that you've left yourself up a provision for the propensity for a thought of a moat. And you do not want Him spotting your provision for the propensity of the thought of a moat. You want Him overlooking your moats and your poles. Are you with me? Don't judge hypocritically. The emphasis on verse 3 is why. And you know the word why ought to just crush us to our knees. Why do we spot others' sins so quickly and ours so slowly? Why do we love to judge others for their sins and we don't love to judge ourselves? Do you know what Jesus would say in in the section of the Bible on the Lord's Supper? For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. If we would come to the Lord's Supper tonight and be judging ourselves and no one else, we should not be judged. Because you know what was happening in that church at Corinth? There were many weak, there were many sick, and there were many that had already died in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because they came to the Lord's Supper unworthily. 
But Jesus and through Paul said, if we would judge ourselves, God wouldn't be judging us that way. We're so quick to judge others. Every one of you. And me. Why do we do it that way? We ought to be judging ourselves. That perverse priority in our view of life shows how depraved we are. It shows how wicked we are. (coughs) Why? The Savior said. So we come to verse 4. Or how? Wilt thou say to thy brother? The Savior is reasoning, how in the world are you going to be a good surgeon and help convert a brother back to the truth, you precious soul winner, while you are so far from the truth yourself? How will you do it? How will you manage to pick that small fault out of his life while your life is filled with a railroad tie of them? Are you with me? Are you with the Lord here? The first question is why showing depravity and the twisted priorities that we have, the cruel hatred we have toward others. Verse 4 is how will you do it? How in the world can you convert someone while you yourself are in the bondage of a fault or a sin? That's why it tells us in Galatians 6 and verse 1, If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which have beams in your eyes, go and help get the moat out of his... Is that what it says? No. Galatians 6.1 If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Do you know what that means? It means going to the brother very meekly, very gently, very kindly. Lord, I could be guilty of this same offense. I probably am. Lord, I could be guilty of worse offenses. I probably am. I'm very meekly trying to help that brother. This is the word of the Lord. It's very simple to understand the Bible. Let's understand it by the grace of His Spirit as He's teaching us this morning. How can we do it? We have to be spiritually minded and have examined ourselves and be free from sin before we can help another. And that's what Jesus taught in verse 5. Thou hypocrite. Thou hypocrite. That's pretty judgmental. First. Cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. That's the order. That's the order of godliness. Self-examination first, and then we can help others. A man that is walking in the Spirit of God with his sins confessed, his life examined, and his life cleaned up with clean hands like David said, that man is able to teach others and convert them from their sins. Remember what David prayed in Psalm 51? Lord, if you'll forgive me, then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Notice the order. David David wasn't... He was pretty judgmental when Nathan gave him the story, wasn't he? About the man with the ewe lamp, the sheep, and so forth. And did David say, kill him. He'll die for that. Now, was that a violation of Matthew 7? Yes, it was. Was that David's overall character? No. Did the Lord overlook that outburst on his part? Yes, thankfully. First, clean up your own life. And so Psalm 51 was David praying, Lord, if you'll forgive me and give me a clean heart back, if you'll renew a right spirit within me, if you'll not take your Holy Spirit from me, then will I teach transgressors thy way. And that's the order. I want every one of you to be soul winners, especially the fathers in here. And by soul winners, I mean winning your children from this world to the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Winning them from fables to truth, from entertainment to holiness. Every one of you to be soul winners. 
But how do we do that? Lord, examine me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Then we can help others. So we come to verse 6. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 26. Keeping your hand there at Matthew 7, let's look at Proverbs chapter 26 to be reminded about why the Lord would use these two animals from His creation to describe certain kinds of men. They have... These animals have character traits that the Lord considers very despicable. There's not a positive word said in the Bible about a dog or a pig. It's all negative. But there's, there's particular traits that He wants you to see about them. And it's in Proverbs 26 and verse 11. 26, 11, As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. A fool is like a dog in that a dog, when it's got an upset stomach, will vomit out the contents of its stomach and then eat them again. I mean, that's just about the most despicable thing you can say. But it'll do it. It does it instinctively. It does it naturally. And it loves it. And it licks its lips when it's done. It's so excited about having eaten its vomit. But the description of that is for you to, it's for you to transfer from that picture of a dog licking its lips after licking up its vomit to transfer that to you and me. It's, it's to transfer it to men who they're taught that way of living is foolish. That way of living will ruin your life. That way of living is displeasing to God. That way of living is a lie. And they change for a week. They change for a day. They change for a month. They may change for a year if you're on top of them all the time. And then they are right back to it. That's a fool. A pig is very similar. A pig, you can get it out and take it to the car wash. You can strap it down to the top of your car and run it through the heavy bristle brush. You can clean it as well as you want. You can pet it. You can put a pink bow about it. You can do its toenails. But as soon as you let that thing go, it's going to go to find the softest ground it can. It's going to, it's going to relieve itself on that ground to get a little softer. And then it's going to root around in its own mess, mire and excrement, until it's a muddy mess. They're filthy. And you know what the Lord would say? We're just the same way when we return to our sins. And so we have from those two animals this warning from the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 7 and verse 6. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. We will encounter people in our lives. We will present the truth to them. It won't mean a thing to them. They'll just keep right on living the way they have been. They might show a little bit of repentance for a few days. And then be right back into their sins. The Lord calls them dogs and pigs. They're fools. Then we're going to encounter scorners. A scorner, when you correct him, not only ignores what you're saying, what you're saying, but he makes fun of you. He ridicules you. He hates you for it. The Bible says when you rebuke a scorner, you get to yourself a blot. Scorners do not want to be corrected. They do not want to be taught God's word. They do not want to learn. They have no fear of God in their hearts at all. And the Bible says about such people, dogs and pigs, fools and scorners, ignore them and reject them and don't give them the holy things of my gospel. That's what it means in verse 6 when it says, Give not that which is holy. 
What is holy? God's holy scriptures. Don't give my pearls before swine. Pearls are a special little creation of God. They're of great value. And God has given us many things of great value, but when we see someone that is a fool or a scorner, we can leave them. And this is the word of the Lord. Now, no one preaches that verse anymore. No one. They just keep on going out and finding fools and scorners and saying, don't you want to know Jesus? Jesus Christ and the apostles never did that. The Apostle Paul, every time when he preached in the city, go look it up in the book of Acts, he would go to a synagogue where men were worshiping God. He did not go to the brothels. He did not go to the slums. He did not go to where people had no regard for God. He went to the synagogues where men were worshiping God. They were just worshiping Him in error. And he would get up in front of them and he would open the Scriptures and he would reason with them that he was giving them the truth. He would not waste his time with the others. When he met others, go read about his rebuke. I read it to you last Sunday evening from Acts 13. As soon as the Jews rejected him in Antioch of Pisidia, he said, you've judged yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. I'm going to preach to the Gentiles. And he left those Jews. The Lord Jesus Christ preached in parables to that same group of people. And when his disciples said to Jesus, why are you preaching to them in parables? Don't you know they can't understand you? Jesus said, I don't want them to understand. The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven are given to you and not to them. That's the word of the Lord. No one preaches that anymore. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the precious things of this word are for his people. It's not for all men. It's for his people. And we find his people by going out and speaking to all men. And they will quickly let you know whether they are fools or scorners. Very quickly, you confront a man with the truth and you'll find out what kind of a man he is. Very quickly. It is a travesty on God's character to think that he wants everyone to have the precious things of his truth. God has been blinding men from the very beginning. God blinded Pharaoh to not recognize the fact that he was dealing with the God of heaven. The reason we have sodomites in our nation is because God has blinded them. You don't have to wonder where sodomy came from. Doctors can't figure it out. Psychologists don't know. Psychiatrists are dumbfounded. We know where it came from. Romans chapter 1 tells us where sodomy came from. Sodomy came from men not being thankful and rejecting the God of heaven. And so God blinded their mind, hardened their heart, so that they would do something so despicable as abusing themselves with each other. That's where it came from. There's a God in heaven. And if you don't want to do things His way, He will give you over to a reprobate mind to do some very inconvenient and terrible things that will destroy your own life. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where the Roman Catholic Church is dealt with, the God of heaven said, because they received not the love of the truth, therefore I sent them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned to believe not the truth. That is what the God of heaven said about men who want to worship Mary, about men who don't want to get married, about men who think that the cracker on their altars is God Almighty. When men do that against the God of heaven and against the truth of the Bible, God sends them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Do not be confused by Matthew 7, 6. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't give my precious truth or my precious gospel to fools and scorners. 
Ignore them. Get away from them. Because they'll do two things. When you give the precious truth of the gospel to a fool or a scorner, he first of all makes fun of it. That's what it means here in this text by saying, lest they trample them under their feet. They make fun of them. They ridicule them. They abuse them and twist them. And the second thing they do is they take them and rend you with them. That means they take your words and twist them to come back and attack you for what you have said. So the safe thing and the God-honoring thing is not even to waste your time on fools. You know, there's a great difference between a wise man. A wise man is loving the truth. He is seeking the truth. He wants to be taught. He wants to be corrected. And when you meet one of those, and I hope, I hope you all know that about me, and I hope we know that about our church, we will do anything for someone that loves the truth. We will go to any distance. We will spend any amount of money, within reason, to help someone that wants the truth. Even one. Did we say about our website that if we could help even one soul, it's worth the investment? Yes, that's how much we care. But what souls do we care about? We care about the regenerate children of God that God has given a new heart to that want to follow the truth. And when we find one of them, we'll do anything we can to help them. Anything. But those that want to be fools and scorners, bye-bye. Have a nice life and enjoy meeting the Lord Jesus Christ one second after you die. That's what Jesus said to them. How shall ye escape the damnation of hell? Is what Jesus said to the Pharisees. We don't have anything for fools and scorners. We want to find those sincere children of God that are seeking the truth. Many times they're in terrible ignorance. But when we find them, we want to show them the truth. And God has sent us some of those and we're very thankful for them. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ was preaching in Matthew 15. And He said... It's not what enters into a man. It's not what enters into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of a man that defiles him. Because what enters into a man goes out in the draft. That's the sewer, folks, in the New Testament. The disciples came to Jesus and pulled him aside and said, this is Matthew 15, verse 15. The disciples said to Jesus, don't you know the Pharisees were offended by what you just said? Do you think Jesus went back out there and said, Pharisees, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. What did he say? He said, every plant that my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Amen. There's, only, there's only two kinds of plants in the world. The plants that the heavenly Father hath planted. Amen. And the plants that the devil has planted. Amen. Jesus said, every plant that my heavenly Father hath not planted, shall be rooted up. Who's going to root it up? The reapers in the last day. They be blind leaders of the blind. Let them both fall into the ditch. That is what Jesus Christ said. We do not try to be exclusive for exclusiveness sake. We want to be as exclusive as the Lord Jesus Christ taught us to be. And that is the truth of the gospel is for His children alone. And anyone else that wants to hate it and despise it can go their way and make up their own religion. They're doing it every day. And that's what Matthew 7, 6 is teaching you. You do not have an obligation to convert every fool and scorner. You'll be unable to do so unless it's a plant your Heavenly Father has planted. 
What can we do with what we've learned from these six verses? I hope that you'll remember, with the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful, with the froward thou wilt show thyself froward. Can you be glorious and pass over the transgressions of others? Like Proverbs 19.11 tells us, when someone offends you, can you overlook it? Do you know what that means? When you offend God, He's going to be much more apt to overlook your offenses against Him because you're overlooking them when others offend you. Are you with me? Let's apply it. Let's take something out of here. Let's change our lives this morning. Let's humble ourselves before the Lord Jesus Christ. He sat down on a mountain and He taught His disciples how they could please Him. You are being taught this morning how you can please Him from these six verses. The first lesson that we were taught in verses 1 and 2 is that we will be judged with the same kind of judgment we use against others. If you're gentle, kind, patient, forgiving, and merciful, and you give liberally to those that need your help, God is going to be kind, patient, gentle, compassionate, merciful, and He's going to give into your bosom until it's overflowing. The lesson is plain. The lesson is simple. Let's do it toward each other. Let's not judge one another, that we be not judged. Let's overlook and forgive every time that we possibly can. And that doesn't mean things against the Word of God. If it's a thing against the Word of God, that means you go very meekly, very gently and kindly and convert them back to the truth. You don't sit in judgment on them and blast them. Because if you want to be set, if you want someone to sit in judgment on you and blast you, the Lord is able to accommodate your wishes. And you don't want Him to do that. Can you give everyone the benefit of the doubt? When they do something that looks like it's wrong, when they do something that looks like it's mean towards you, can you believe all things and hope all things? It's hard. Can you do it? I want the Lord to do that with me when it looks like I'm not serving Him. I want Him to be merciful toward me. I'm I'm stretching things just a little bit, but I hope you understand how I want you to reason through this lesson. Are you an evil surmiser? You know, when you surmise evil, that is, you see someone doing something that's questionable and you jump to the conclusion that it's wrong. If you see someone doing something questionable, why not jump to the conclusion they must be doing something right and I just saw it the wrong way. You say, that's twisted. It is, isn't it? The spiritual man is twisted compared to the natural man. The natural man's pretty twisted compared to the spiritual man. That's how we ought to treat each other. That's what the lesson is. I want to hear these words every day of my life. I have forgiven you. I want to hear those words. And so I want to be forgiving and I want you to be forgiving because I want God's mercy upon every one of you. Do you want to be like Peter? And say, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Well, Peter, do you want the Lord holding you accountable and judging you on number eight? Are you with me? Your life can be blessed. Your life can be full of mercy if you bless others and are merciful toward them. Right. You don't know the hearts of others. When you see something that looks bad, 
Show some mercy. Assume that their heart is good, that they've just made a mistake. Assume their heart is good and they've had a bad day, instead of jumping on them. I want the Lord to do the same thing to you and to me. We shouldn't take private matters public. We shouldn't condemn others for single acts when it's contrary to their overall character. We should not be slow to forgive others. We should be very quick. When somebody else wants our forgiveness, I hope you're right there. Oh, when somebody says, will you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. Do you know why you should say it that quickly? So that you can hear what David heard so quickly to his words. I have sinned against the Lord. And the Lord said, I have forgiven you. That's practicing the first two verses of Matthew 7. The second thing we ought to learn from today, verses 3 through 5, is what he told the hypocrite to do. And that is self-examination is more important than other examination. There's no profit in going home and sitting at your dinner table and talking about what so-and-so did or did not do today or how bad so-and-so is. Why don't you go home and sit at your table and tell your children your faults? Sit at your table and apologize for not being a better father. That would be a whole lot wiser in God's sight than sitting at that table or sitting in that car on the way home and saying anything negative about anyone else. Tell your children that you're a miserable failure. That's a wise man. That's a godly man. That's a holy man. David confessed his sins over and over again. Those words on his deathbed are, Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant. David admitted that his family was a failure in the sight of God. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, as he laid in his deathbed, he was a humble man. A good man is able to say, I was wrong, I was foolish, I have, I've been a failure in many areas. That is much better than saying, that man's a loser. We ought to be condemning ourselves rather than others. The prayer, and I've already, I've already mentioned it once, but let me mention it again. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. This is the prayer of a righteous man that understands the second lesson of today. Search me, O God. Search me, O God. And know my thoughts. My thoughts. Try me and know my heart. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. You know what we're doing all the time? We're thinking, his thoughts are wrong. His ways are wrong. His heart is bad. What we need to be doing is, Lord, search me. Know my heart. Know my thoughts. Try me. Examine me, O Lord. There's no hypocrisy when you do that. And if you did that on a regular basis and waited until the Lord showed you what was wrong in your life and you repented of it, then you would be most fit. You'd be most fit to go and help others and convert them back to the truth. How in the world can we convert our brother? Unless we've done that ourselves and been converted to the truth. And the third rule is that you do not have an obligation to foolish and unlearned question of skeptics, fools, and scorners. When someone is skeptical and scornful about the truth of the gospel, ignore them and leave them. You do not have an obligation toward them. God delivers you from that obligation. Jesus Christ would not waste his time on them, and God has probably already turned them over to a reprobate mind and hardened their heart and blinded their mind so that they cannot see straight. You say, that is such a harsh doctrine. It is the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It is why men will no longer endure sound doctrine. They don't want to hear anything like this. But this is the word of the Lord. When someone shows themselves to be a fool or a scornful, you are not obligated to keep wasting your time with them. Because you need to get out and find those that have a sincere heart that has been born again from heaven above by the power of the Holy Spirit that wants the things of God like Cornelius. We want to find Cornelius's. That's where Peter was sent to Cornelius. We want to find Ethiopian eunuchs. What was the Ethiopian eunuch doing when Philip found him? Reading the Scriptures. We want to find those men and show them the truth. Lead them to the waters of baptism and strengthen them in their Christian life. That is our goal. And Matthew 7, 6 teaches us that. Dear brethren, you know how quick you are to criticize, correct, or condemn others. Do you want God to show that same speed and severity in measuring judgment back to you? If not, then choose mercy today towards your family, toward the church, toward everyone you deal with, and the Lord will choose mercy towards you. Do you examine yourself like you should, or have I reminded you of something that you've let slip? Self-examination. By asking God to show you the faults in your life. Let's renew our efforts to do that. Do you love the holy things of the gospel? And do you understand that God has chosen you for secrets kept secret from before the foundation of the world that have been revealed through the gospel? You are a privileged group of people. Jesus would say to his disciples, after he told them why he preached in parables... So that the multitude could not understand, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, But blessed are your ears, for they hear, and blessed are your eyes, for they see. Let me explain the parable of the sower to you. That's Matthew 13. He has done that to you. You are very privileged. Are you thankful in your heart for it? And do you understand the positive side of Matthew 7, 6 I'm giving you right now? So far from being dogs and pigs, he has made you his sons and his daughters and shown you his secrets. And may he show us evermore. Amen. May the Lord Jesus Christ be praised.